This is a main hustle media podcast. It sounds like one of the names they would have for a monarch. It's like Queen Javia the first, black radical queer, <laughs> Negro women. <laughs> All the way from the A, you listen to my favorite lesbian on BRQ. Hey, stay locked in with your favorite lesbian on black radical queer. Yeah. Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole, aka your favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole. Welcome back to another episode of Black Radical Queer Podcast. As usual, I am going to allow my guests to introduce themselves and then we will get into our um, conversation. Um, before they introduce themselves, though, um, I am really excited to have this guest on because, um, well, I'll let her tell you <laughs> how she came how she came across me. But uh, I am really excited to have her on because um, she's a prime example of why I do this and like what the most fulfilling thing for me in doing this anyway. So um, y'all get to know her. I'm gonna. Uh, quiet? <laughs> yeah, awesome. So um, my name is Marissa Watts. Um, I'm a 21-year-old student. I go to um, the college university at Albany. Um, and I actually found this podcast um, kind of just looking through like the iTunes podcast. Um, I typed in queer and then um, this podcast actually came up. And I've been listening literally Probably for like three weeks, I've gotten through almost all of the episodes, <laughs> which is super funny. Um, I listen to this podcast literally when I tell you I'm walking from class to class. Um, I listen to it, you know, in my spare time when I kind of feel like I need someone to, um, you know, relate to and someone that understands and shares the same or similar issues, um, you know, as me. Um, and yeah, so I'm honestly so excited. I'm feeling super blessed to be on this podcast. It's like really surreal for me. Um, but yeah, like I said, my name's Marissa. I'm a student. Um, my pronouns are she, she's, and hers. Um, and I do identify as queer. Um, and we'll talk a lot more about that, I'm sure. All right. So. Um, you know, like I said, I am excited to have Marissa on the show. Um, I actually, so how we came across each other, because some people who are my listeners, um, when I say this, they're going to know who I'm talking about because I mentioned you, I, I like spoke about you to like a, some of people, some people that were close to me. Um, mm-hmm. So like my wife, my best friend and stuff like that, I was like, look, y'all, I got to tell y'all <laughs> about this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I got a message on Instagram uh, from Marissa, and she was just saying, oh, you know, I listen to the podcast and that type of stuff. And I was like, you know, my mind was blown. I was like, oh, snap, like somebody, you know, reached out to me. Um, yeah. I, it was really exciting to get the feedback. And, you know, we had our um, Instagram conversation and our Aries connection. You know. Okay. Um, uh huh. You no. Know, gang, gang. So, um, but yeah, so <laughs> we're talking about that. You know, got the fire sign stuff going on. Birthdays are close, so I'm already biased. Mm-hmm. So once I start with the Aries, I'm like, I'm already biased. Um, I'm already, I'm already fan. But um, okay. so you know, I, it was really, it meant a lot to me that 
the show is something that she can relate to. And so I want for, I really want it for my listeners, for you all to be able to get a chance to get to know her and for her to share her story because that's when I talk about, you know, BRQ and, you know, I know I have like the little tagline that's like our stories in our own terms, but it's not just like a catchphrase or anything like that. It's something I really, really mean. I want for us to be able to be the narrators of our own stories and be subjects and not objects. And so um, this is the platform for that. So when um, Marissa reached out and just told me that, you know, she enjoyed the podcast and stuff like that, I asked her if she would be open to coming on because I think that, yeah, her her story is really a prime example of what BRK is about. So um, we have some things in common outside of just the Aries (laughs) connection, but I'm going to, you know, give her the space to kind of tell you all about herself, what she does, and just her story, and we'll just, like, have our conversation and allow y'all to be nosy. <laughs> yeah. Well, to start, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. My story, honestly, is um, very much unlike many people that I've met, specifically people, you know, in the queer community at UAlbany. And by that, I mean I am 21 years old and have always known that, basically, I've always known that I've had interests in both men and women, but I've been kind of trying to figure out, you know, where I stand in um, labeling and trying to kind of come to terms with the fact that I also like people of the same sex as me. And I've been doing that throughout my life in certain aspects, but have always really conformed to the idea that, you know, society normalizes, which is, you know, men and women are people that should be the ones getting together, um, which is really unfortunate because I feel like at this point in my life now I'm really starting to understand that, you know, my feelings are real towards women. My feelings are definitely valid, but now I'm finally starting to involve myself, you know, in a community that so far has opened their arms to me. But I feel like my experience is different just because a lot of people grow up knowing in some sense. And I have always known but not accepted and not really branched out and began to really like understand and realize because I've always just been so subjected to the understanding that being with someone of the same sex is normal. So that's where I'm kind of coming from in my identification of queer and that's just a new realization also and we can kind of talk about that too later in the podcast like why does the the word queer mean something to me and how do I resonate with that word over the other words that you know are in the community that we represent but yeah like I said I'm a college student I walk around kind of trying to understand you know myself and I just recently put the LGBTQ flag in my Instagram bio Um, and as someone that's known on college campus or on this college campus at least I wonder if people have a different view of me in the sense of, like, me being straight passing and people always knowing that I've loved males but not really knowing the other side of me who also loves women, you know, which was behind closed doors. Um, So now that's just a big difficulty that I guess I'm struggling with. Like, has anyone said anything Mm -hmm. to you since you made that change in your bio? Yeah, um, people really, like, even close friends of mine, I just recently got a text, like, hey, just wondering, but 
um, you like girls too, like what's up with their Instagram bio and things like that. And I do understand to some extent, like their curiosity, but I feel like it's not people's business. And he did, he did end up apologizing after because he didn't really come at it in a sensitive way, more, more in like, uh, I want to know male egotistical mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. or yeah, which was, it was frustrating. Like, and I don't feel like if I, I don't feel comfortable to say it to you and come out and say it, I don't really need to, I don't need to answer to you, you know? So I've just been getting a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> no, because I, yeah. like, I feel like that says a lot. You know, if I come to you yeah. and I share something with you, then fine. But uh-huh. I, see, the thing, something that's very common, especially when you're different in some kind of way, particularly if you're mm-hmm. like LGBTQ, um, people mm-hmm. feel like if they if they see certain things, that, that automatically gives them a certain type of access to you. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just not the case. So, for instance, just because I say – I mean, just because I'm out, or even if I post, like, in my bio, I put your favorite lesbian because it's, uh, it's, like, my little joke or whatever. But Or I used mm-hmm. to say, like, your friendly neighborhood lesbian. Just because I put that does not mean that it's open season for you to ask me questions about my sexuality, right? But people mm-hmm. make that assumption because they feel like, oh, well, either I saw this, you know, in your bio, or I see you holding hands with someone of the same sex or something like that, and they feel like, oh, I see this, so I have this access to to have all this information about you is really like a sense of entitlement that people have mm-hmm. um, toward like knowing your personal things. You are allowed to like express who you are in different ways. And that still doesn't mean that there's this automatic access to you, you know, to knowing your business basically. Mm-hmm. So that's something that really, I think too, it puts pressure on folks to feel like they have to come out a certain way. Like being out means a certain thing because they're like, Oh, well, that means I have to, like, answer all these questions or just be open, you know, to whatever. And it's like, no, you don't have to be. You know, it's totally up to you. You're the authority mm-hmm. on how you want, you know, how out you want to be and that type of stuff. So. Yeah, and I feel like that's really, really difficult for me. And I feel like definitely, like, the intersection of, like, being black in, like, a world where white is normative and, like, being queer in a world where straight is considered normative as well like I feel like there's been so many times that I have to spend for you know my specifically my whole race because um like I said I haven't had too many issues being queer because I haven't been open with saying I'm queer um but you can see my blackness from my skin so mm-hmm. in a white world in a private you know university even a public university i i did transfer from a private one to a public one which is a little more diverse but um there's still those white folks and those people that aren't black and haven't experienced you know being in a black body and that still ask me questions that make me feel like i have to fend for my race and now it seems to be the same with you know my sexuality which is it's just really unfortunate and you know I don't want to be the spokesperson for all of these things that you may never understand, but it's like, Mm -hmm. I also have to find the, I also have to find the strength and the understanding within myself to inform people and make people knowledgeable because I feel like that also is my civic duty. So it's like, where do you kind of find the balance 
between those yeah. two aspects of who you are, which is difficult. I mean, that's a tough, it's a tough um, spot to be in. I mean, I think that you mm-hmm. said, when you said, you know, I don't want to be the spokesperson, it's like, I was kind of doing like the amen <laughs> thing um, yeah. because in, in previous episodes I've, you know, mentioned to like, to my listeners, you know, I don't, I've gotten to a place where I am tired of coming out. I don't want to have mm-hmm. to be, uh, there's certain things I don't want to have to do. And it is about striking balance. I do feel like when you're a marginalized person, like when you're black, queer, woman, like, you know, just marginalized all across the board, we, there's this expectation. It's similar to to when you were talking about someone asking you the question and it's like, well, okay, you know, you kind of came at me sideways. Um, it's that, that assumption of access or like that entitlement to have the access is the same thing with education like people just feel like oh well you're supposed to teach and you're supposed to Mm -hmm. and I used to feel that way when I was younger and the older I get the less I feel that way (laughs) particularly Mm -hmm. in relation to white people I have a little more patience for like people of color and a little more patience for black people but I am tired of like always having to be in a role so it's really like picking and choosing you like choosing prioritizing when to play that role and when not to for your own well-being because it may be beneficial in certain circumstances so really just looking at when like when do I want to be in this place to have to educate people and stuff and when do I want to step back and just focus on myself it's a really tough spot to be in um, especially because with so much entitlement people expect you to do it which it's one thing if I just choose to do it, but it's another thing when you assume that I, I'm just going to, you know, give you all the answers. I'm like the go-to person for black folks and queer folks and stuff. It's it's a lot. And you just want to live your life, too. <laughs> um, you don't want your That's life good. to revolve around, you know, constantly defending who you are. Um, so it really is a balancing act. I used to do a lot mm-hmm. more defending and teaching and education and stuff like that when I was younger, and it honestly got old. I got tired of it, and it got old, and then I started to get angry and all kind of stuff. And so I just don't do it, especially because there's so much access to things now. I don't feel like that weight should be on you or me or, like, on any one person to be that authority. Like, go do some damn research. Go do, like, put forth the Mm -hmm. effort instead of having the expectation that we have to put forth that mental and emotional, intellectual labor. It's not fair to you because – you're a person mm-hmm. living your life, you know. So some folks got to take some shit into their own hands and, and learn and do the work and not expect you to do that labor, especially when you're just trying to, like, figure some things out for yourself and just, you know, grow into your identity and just enjoy your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, you mentioned something that was so big. Like, it's tiring. It's tiring with self-care, with me trying to really, like, do my best with myself and now I'm having to do my best with myself but also explain to you why you know my best is good enough because even though I'm maybe different than you like you get what I'm saying so it's yeah that's just something that I've been having a really hard time dealing with but I also want people to understand that I'm me in my truest form um and me in my truest form also is my queerness and so I think my biggest thing with that is when you have people close to you you want them to know about you and they 
you want them to understand, you know, where you're coming from, where your point of view mm-hmm. lies. And I feel like that has to do with my queerness as well as my blackness, as well as me identifying as a woman at all intersects. And um, it shapes my everyday experience. So the people close to me or people I have in my circle, I do want them to know that part of me. But then again, it's it's draining. Like, it's draining having to explain <laughs> this to people. Yeah. So, where, like, where do it you is. find a balance with that as well? I think it's constantly, it's, it's a process. Like, it's something that, I mean, I wish I could say that I had it figured out, but I'm constantly in the process of figuring it out because, it's human nature to mm-hmm. want to be understood. And so mm-hmm. in order to be, like, understood, you want people to know. I was just talking about this recently, but people knowing, like, the fullness mm-hmm. of you, like, not just yeah. one compartment, you know. And we're very, especially especially women of color, especially black women, um, we are taught to be very compartmentalized. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that's how we're kind of taught to navigate the world. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of like only be this, like you are just a mother in this situation, you are just the wife, you're just, you know, and so that is very limiting, you know, so it's mm-hmm. something that we're like constantly, constantly working to unpack. So I wonder like if that is part of, because you said that really in terms of you like learning more more about your identity and embracing certain things, this is like a newer thing. And in the past, yeah. when you were younger, you were saying something that made your experience different was that you know, it wasn't something that you really wanted to acknowledge. So, like, what was that process like? Because when did you, like, kind of start to figure that out, and did you just, like, reject it and deny it? So when did you transition, you know, from from that to, like, you know, embracing this as a part of you? Yeah, um, I definitely think when I really knew, um, like, actually at my old school where there was there was a girl that I was interested in who was very interested in me. And it felt exactly the same, if not better in some cases when it came to not even like physically, but emotional intimacy and understanding, um, which I haven't ever felt from a male, just because, you know, obviously we live in two different, we literally universes when it comes to like um, oppression <laughs> yeah. and things like Your that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, I just realized it really felt the same. And then I kind of looked back um, and did a check on my childhood and really began to understand that and remember the moments where I just knew that I loved people for who they are. I always tell a story about how I had, this is me in like kindergarten, mind you. And there was a teacher who I was so emotionally moved by because of her way with words the way she made me feel safe and understood. And that was in a time that I didn't even know you could feel for anyone that way, you know, but not even in a, in a way like relationship way. Obviously this is like a grown woman, but just those feelings of connection. I, um, I kind of looked back into my psyche and into my memory and realized that I had those with women primarily. But, you know, throughout my childhood, I've always seen the, like, heteronormative way of life. I've always grown up with my two um, parents. They've always, you know, dated people that were of opposite sex, and I've always just seen that and grown up to think that that was the right way to live. 
come to find out, that's, it's not. <laughs> it's completely, it's completely <laughs> not. <laughs> it's completely not. And so definitely that experience with that, the woman from my old school and understanding that my feelings are, are valid and kind of, you know, stop running from them because they're real and um, they're full force and they're okay. So that's kind of and where. I mean, I think I, another thing to keep in mind is like they're normal. Like, you know, yeah. even though they're, they're, that's not what's normalized, like, yeah, you know, not to, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it's not unique. Like it's, it's a, in a good way. It's like, hey, you're not the only person that feel this uh-huh. way. Like you're not alone in. Yeah. Yeah. And the feelings that you have, you know, other people experience this too. And so your feelings are valid, they're shared, and they're, um, they're like a norm, you know, it's normal. It's not like weird or crazy or abnormal for you to feel those things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that kind of led me to my journey and where I am now. Um, and I definitely, I'm not currently like with anyone, but I feel like, I could definitely love to any capacity. Um, And I kind of wanted to speak about the reason I identify with queer, um, because I've always had this thought that, you know, people love people, and that's just, I've always thought it, but I never really accepted it. Um, And the queer kind of comes from um, just the way that society understands different aspects of, like, the LGBTQ I plus community. Um, I feel like certain things are almost too labeling and queer is more of like the umbrella term where people know you're a part of the community, but they don't necessarily have the capacity to judge, which I guess comes from my fear of being judged, which is also clearly since I'm just now coming out and just now learning to accept me liking who I like or who they who they are exactly in their entirety um yeah so I and I just don't want people to know and that's that's completely okay too like I I definitely want to stress you don't have to come out and tell people like you don't have to let other people know what's going on in your life like that's something that you do when you're absolutely ready so even this is really a big step for me to be on this show and kind of talk about my queerness and um confirm the things that, you know, people have been speaking about, but not only for them, because I'm I'm sick of answering questions, so I'm just going to direct them to this podcast, to be honest, <laughs> but Smart. for myself, and my, yeah, right, but um, having these words come out of my mouth and know that they have meaning, and know that I'm speaking my truth in the way I'm living, the way I'm, you know, talking about these subjects. Um, yeah, it's just confirmation for me, but I definitely want to stress you don't have to tell people and you don't have to rush the process. Just do what you feel is right. And I knew those feelings felt right when I was young, when I was um, with the girl at my old school and just kind of run with it. Even before you identify, like figure out what you like, figure out what you don't try new things. Um, you know, dive into the concept that you may not be um, who everyone else thinks you are, and that's super okay. Um, so that's yeah, kind of what I'm dealing with right now. 
I think that's the thing that people need to keep in mind. I mean, I try to stress um, that, you know, I, I hate the whole, um, like, kind of almost like this concept or just like the construct is, I guess, a better word, mm-hmm. of coming mm-hmm. out and how, you know, if you are other in some kind of way, you feel like, oh, this is um, a mandatory part of my journey that I come out, mm-hmm. that I proclaim from the mountaintop, and, you know, that I, like, it's an obligation. And so I ver- I um, challenge that because I don't feel like it's an obligation. I feel like we really have autonomy and agency to to tell if and when we want to. And so I when I was younger, I really felt the need to, like, be a little more flamboyant when I'm when I say younger I mean like 14 15 16 because <laughs> um, I came out at like 14 years old so um, and because there was so much backlash and so much stuff I dealt with I rebelled against that by just being even more ridiculous like I wore so much rainbow stuff and I, like I was just like you know forget what you you know what you got to say or how you feel I just was like bucking against everything that was coming at me so but, you know, that got tiring and draining. And once I, by the time I finished high school, that was shut down. I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. I don't have to do that. And now that I'm, you know, exactly 10 years older than you, which is crazy to me to say, but, oh, Lord. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, I just see, like, where you are now. And I think the, the most important part about, like, this whole process is that you're getting to know yourself so much better and you're like acknowledging things to yourself because that's to me that's been like in my journey kind of one of the most profound things I was able to unpack some stuff I was able to admit admit some things to myself mm-hmm. and not feel like shame or um not feel like I had to like deny it and be a certain type of way I'm like look let me just be my full self with me I feel like you know kind of like you are the most important person that you have to quote unquote come out to and then everybody mm-hmm. else whoever else you choose to share it with, it's really a privilege. Like, it's not an obligation. And so for those mm-hmm. people who are close to you and who care about you, it's just another way for them to have a fuller understanding of you. But while also understanding that this is not an obligation, like, you can mm-hmm. choose to disclose what you want to disclose. You can choose to keep to yourself what you would like to. And if you're sharing it with someone, it's because you're choosing to, you know, to let them know and that it's you know, you have a certain type of relationship with them. So I think that people understanding that, the significance of it, as opposed to thinking it's automatic and they're entitled to an explanation and they should hit you up like, yeah, so tell me about, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's not, mm-hmm. you're not obligated to to do that. Um, yeah, I'm so, right. like, even though I've come out multiple times, I'm in a lot of ways I'm kind of anti, I feel like it should be on your own terms. I don't feel like mm-hmm. anybody should be forced or like obligated to do it. So so that's what really bothers me. But I think that um because you've had this you've had time to like process for yourself, your the biggest thing is like you accepting you, regardless of what other people say. It's like, okay, look, you can listen to this podcast and keep it pushing, but you, you know, yeah. coming to terms with who you are and being able to like acknowledge your full self is what mm-hmm. kind of like the beautiful thing is. Yeah. Thank you. And a lot of the time, um, it's mostly about what are people's intentions behind asking. And I feel like most of the time you can definitely tell, are they asking for themselves? Are they coming from a place where they want to 
work with your experience and try to holistically understand you better. And that has, you know, figuring that out has been really a challenge for me because people put on a good front. But not only that, if you do, if you are able to see transparently through, like, why they're asking and it's negative, it's almost like, like, do I want you in my life? Like, that's what I'm thinking about that boy that asked me about my sexuality and he said it in a way that was, like, alarming. Like, why, like, why mm. are you asking about me like that? And how, how do I navigate, like, the aftermath of it? But also, I feel like it's really difficult for me identifying as queer and liking both sexes because a lot of the time men ask me for their own ego and for their own gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's so disturbing. It's so disturbing to think that, you know, my sexuality is being, like, it's not being taken serious. And it's a lot of the time thought of as something that I'm doing for other people, especially in college where I'm around so many young-minded individuals that clearly don't have a grip on, you know, life or the reality of it. But, yeah, even I've had friends, like girlfriends, people that I'm close to, try to, like, kiss me, and I'm thinking that they're doing it in a friendly oh way. Oh, my God. I look at I, – I swear, like – and – they do that in a friendly way, but I asked one time, I was like, why do you, why do you do that? Like, what makes you, because I'm so, I'm all for, like, I love my friends to the bottom of my heart. I don't mind, I mean, that if it's in a friendly way, which is how I look at them, but she goes, because you, because I thought you would like it, Marissa, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like do you not understand the that I'm not That is a hot mess. That's oh a my hot, God. It's a whole hot mess. <laughs> that's a hot, but you know, that's entitled, but it's uh-huh. entitlement, you know, that's uh-huh. entitlement. Um, uh-huh. because people feel like that's, that goes back to that assumption, like, uh, thinking that, oh, because I know this about you, I have a certain type of access to you, which is mm. a very, um, entitled way of thinking. And yeah. I, I think I mentioned, I may have mentioned this on the show before, I can't remember, but I, um, when I came out, I remember um, I had, like, a some friends. I, I didn't have, like, a ton of friends, but I had some friends. And um, I came out, and I was in high school. And mm-hmm. I, at the time, was writing for this uh, newspaper that went to, like, all of the high schools in uh, metro Atlanta because that's where I'm from. So it went out. So people at my school saw it. So I came out in, like, a – I mean, I was already out to, like, my family, but this is, was, like, my coming out story in print <laughs> that mm-hmm. the whole school saw. So I went mm-hmm. to lunch, and, you know, I was sat with my usual people. And um, this girl who was, like – she was more so an acquaintance to me. She wasn't a close friend of mine, but she was, like, a friend of a friend. Like, she, we and her shared a close friend. Um, mm-hmm. So when I sat down, she was, like, oh, you know, she uh, – said something to the effect of like she tried to crack jokes about you know don't try her you know she's not into girls Mm -hmm. and all this Mm -hmm. type of stuff and I was like okay like you know you're not even my type but you know so I told her I was like don't worry it's like you are safe like (laughs) don't you and she then she got offended then she got in her feelings like oh Mm -hmm. what does that mean you know 
So it's that, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so you feel entitled, like you feel like I'm automatically going to be um, making some type of advance towards you or open to your advances because I've had, you know, I had girls who did some, not like kiss me, but uh, once they found out, be very flirty with me and kind of like touchy-feely and mm-hmm. assume that I was okay with that. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like just because I... Like, girls, doesn't mean that I'm okay with you all of a sudden. When you never interacted with me like this before, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden that you know this information about me, you feel like you have more access to me to be more touchy-feely, to be more my face, to be very flirty, to do stuff that you just did not do before, Um, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting to me, but also very – it's irritating because then it starts to – for me, I felt like – not just like other, but I kind of felt like, okay, well, are you just kind of sort of like experimenting with me or toying with me? I don't know. It was very, a very weird place to be in. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know. That's, that's so crazy to me because that's a boundary violation. Like if you're just like, Mm -hmm. what? Like what makes you think that's, (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) I don't, I just can't. And I don't know if that's like Iwabani things or if she just, thinks I'm pretty and wanted to kiss me or if she was doing that for male validation because men were around um yeah I don't really know I don't really I don't really know and I guess that's an important question to ask I kind of just like um shoot it off a little and I was like no like I don't like I don't like that like I mean it's okay (laughs) (laughs) but like I'm not oh my gosh intrigued with your kiss that you know I like it's my life thing but um so I guess my question to you because after hearing your story like I can definitely resonate with some of those feelings of like feeling violated in some sense or not feeling comfortable but I'm just wondering how do you feel like you can protect your queer body and still feel safe and say no and be stern in your answer and have people respect that, but not only that, but keep you safe? I think that's a really, really good question. Um, For me, because I I think that, you know, a lot of it does depend on kind of your, your situation in terms of like the safety Part, but something that I found that has been applicable kind of across the board is I try to be very, um, very clear about my boundaries. And this is it's something that took time because this was not, you know, at 21, like, I mean, I feel like it's something that I mentioned to you, but I feel like you're kind of in a lot of ways, you know, further along in the process than a lot of people who are, you know, doing this at 21. But at 21, I was not as uh, strict about my boundaries as I was by the time I hit 23 or something. Like, it took, you know, some time, but um, I just – I communicated my boundaries. So, for instance, if I'm getting to know – well, whether I'm getting to know someone or if I already know them, I just let them know more so one-on-one if, I, if I've already had some type of issue with them, then I'll let them know, okay, look, you know – I want for you to, like, there's some things I want for you to understand about me. Like, yes, I do identify this way. That does not mean that I'm just kind of, like, down for whatever, whenever. Just like you have your attraction, that doesn't mean that it extends to everybody. Like, if you're attracted to men, that doesn't mean that you're attracted to every man and that you want every man to have Mm -hmm. access to you. 
that same thing applies to me. So I try to relate it to them, but it also depends on the person, kind of my interaction with them, because some people mm-hmm. you have to kind of be more firm with than others, and it depends on your history with the person. So for, you know, for this person who um, suddenly became really touchy-feely with me, I called her out on it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah. so, you know, I've known you for X amount of years. However, I think at that point it had been four years. I've known you for four years. And, you know, over the time that – and this was something I also did one-on-one. Um, I didn't really do in front of – but now I don't always do it one-on-one, but with this particular person I did it one-on-one based on her interaction with me. I was like, yeah, so mm-hmm. I've noticed, like, lately you've been a lot more, like, affectionate towards me. You've been, like, a lot closer to me, like, physically closer, like, sitting closer to me, being a little more flirty and making little comments and stuff. And, you know, over the time that I've known you, we haven't really interacted like that. So mm-hmm. I was just curious what happened, what was the shift? Because, you know, it's not something that we've talked about. So I want to kind of see what, what ha- you know, what changed. And so give her mm-hmm. opportunity to um, to like respond to me and go from there. Like if it's something that I'm comfortable with, but I just want to know what her motivation is, then you know move forward with that. But if I'm not comfortable with it, just saying, well, okay, you know I'm not, you know I I'm fine with how our friendship was before. We don't have to like I I'm I don't I'm not really comfortable with us, you know being all touchy feely and stuff like that. That's not what we that's not how our friendship is. I don't want it to suddenly become that way. Um, mm-hmm. So it depends on the person. I mean, I've had guys um, ask me very, <laughs> very uh, inappropriate questions, and um, I'll just tell them, I just want it. Like, if they say, like, oh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's real it's real inappropriate. Some of the things they'll mm-hmm. ask, very personal questions about, like, sex and all this type mm-hmm. of stuff, and I'm just like, look, that's not, I'm not going to answer that. It's inappropriate. I don't ask mm-hmm. you about, you know, what you have going on. Um, mm-hmm. I don't ask you about your sex life. I don't want you to ask me about mine. I'm not, my sexuality isn't for your entertainment. Mm-hmm. So I think being very clear about your boundaries and just kind of approaching it person by person because it's, it, I don't think there's really like a one size fit all, but your boundaries should be like something that's set. Like your boundaries can be this set thing where you know, okay, well, this is crossing the line with me or this is, you know, getting close, but how you communicate it to, each person, you know, based on your relationship with them. And for some people, mm-hmm. you have to just kind of remove yourself. Because um, I've had folks who I told them, okay, look, I don't want to talk about this. It's not appropriate. Don't ask me questions about my sex life with my girlfriend. Like, I'm not going to answer the questions. And if they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you're overreacting or they still asking the questions, then I just stopped hanging with them and stopped being around yeah. them. And I had to make the decision. Mm-hmm. People who I thought were my friends, who I thought would respect my identity and respect my boundaries did not and I had to cut them off. Yeah. And like how do you do that? But also understand that like this is a learning experience for some people and this isn't necessarily since they don't experience it, they may not understand. But right. um it may also be just society's understanding of what's normative, like we've talked about Like, I have a lot of friends, um, even really close people that slip up and use gay in terms that I don't necessarily, it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. Like, they'll be like, oh, that's gay, or like, oh, pause, or like, Mm -hmm. that's some gay shit, bro. Like, like, those are all things that people, especially people in the black community, that tend to be very homophobic, 
often say, and these are people that I'm over here chilling with, and I'm like, wait, like, those are, like, I'm a part of this community, do you not realize? Um, that also comes from being, right. you know, straight passing, and when people when people look at me and my physicality and see me, they see someone that they would think is a straight woman. Right, they um, see femme, you know, if you're femme presenting, yeah. then they mm-hmm. assume that also means straight, so there's a lot of... Mm-hmm like kind of invisibility that comes Mm -hmm. with that i mean it is people so something that i like recently talked about i do believe in a lot of cases of kind of giving people room to grow and expand their knowledge and stuff like that it does not have to be at your expense so yeah if let's say you're hanging with this group of friends and you know someone's like oh that's gay or you know no homo or just little stuff like that and you're like okay if you express like, okay, well, I get what you're saying, but I'm not comfortable with that because it's really like, if you think about it, it really doesn't even make it make any sense. Like, why would that? What do you mean that's gay? You know. And so, if you have a conversation mm-hmm. with them and they're not open to learning, it doesn't necessarily mean they will never be, but that still doesn't mean that you have to share that share space with them while they're going through the process. You're not obligated to be their teacher, so you can, mm-hmm. you know, that in that moment. They can choose to, like, learn from what it is that you're telling them. But if you feel like, hey, I had this conversation with you and there's no change, then I have to remove myself. That doesn't mean that it's forever. Um, I have had people who, you know, in the moment, I've had to be like, okay, let me take a step back from you or two or three steps back from you because I see that we're not on the same page and there's work you need to do. And mm-hmm. there's only so much uh, teaching and other types of the, type of stuff that I'm willing to do. So I will take a step back, but it doesn't have to be permanent. If that person comes back around and they're like, you know, I apologize or I recognize this, fine, we can kind of go from there. Or if I notice certain things, if I start to see them and I'm like, oh, I noticed that, you know, their their Facebook posts kind of changed and they're starting to, it seems like they're learning more stuff or whatever, um, then Mm -hmm. I can, you know, kind of circle back to them. So it doesn't have to be, oh, I have to, like, let you go forever, Um, but you Mm -hmm. also don't have to be like the sacrificial queer (laughs) basically you know to be like oh well let me you know be the the guinea pig for you to do all your learning you don't have to do that either like you're not you know it doesn't have to be at your expense because you still have your your personhood like to consider and that's a lot for you to be in that role of teaching and explaining this and explaining that Mm -hmm. um so only you can you know you can decide for yourself like what that limit is but once you get to that limit just being like, okay, I'm not going to engage, mm-hmm. and I can circle back to it. So it doesn't have to be – I don't I, – I'm not, like, a huge fan of, quote, unquote, cancel culture. Like, I do believe that people can grow and learn. Like, we all mm-hmm. have to come from somewhere. We all, you know, are problematic in some kind of way. So I do feel like there's room for growth. Um, it's up to certain things. I have my heart limits. Like, if you're a predator and you – all that kind of stuff, I ain't – no. But in terms of ignorance and you learning – you you know, you may grow and learn. I don't have to mm-hmm. be there step by step throughout your whole, you know, learning process. I can circle back to you when you're a little bit further along when, uh, further along when it's not, you know, as risky for me because there's still a safety thing too. Some, there are unsafe things that can happen out of ignorance. So, awesome. you know, it's just kind of keeping mm-hmm. those things in mind. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense with, like, with boundaries. Um with being able to still speak your mind. And, like, I would definitely identify – I've heard you speak a lot about, like, being radical. 
So it's like being passionate, being radical, but also not exhausting yourself and being careful of, you know, um, exceeding what you feel like you can do for people or what you mm-hmm. feel like you're comfortable to do for yourself. Because that's also radical. For you. Yeah. You know, so it's okay. like understanding that both sides of that is radical. So you mm-hmm. being willing to teach and, you know, be a resource and stuff like that and the information that you provide and your lived experience being this, like, valid knowledge is radical, but it's also radical for you to prioritize yourself. Because you're a black woman and a black queer person and a black queer woman, like, if you put yourself first in any situation, it's already radical, honestly, because we are not expected to put ourselves first, period. We're the people who are on the front lines and um, for everybody, doing the work for everybody, teaching everybody, nurturing everybody, (laughs) like, carrying everybody. So anytime you make that decision to put yourself first and to prioritize yourself that is a radical decision. It doesn't have to be um, – being radical doesn't only have to just be you teaching and, like, trying to educate folks. It's, like, you choosing to not do that and just to be like, you know what, I'm going to put myself first and live my damn life um, mm-hmm. and be very, you know, like, particular about who I choose to kind of give that type of energy to, which is the place that I've gotten to. I used to feel like, oh, I have to teach and I have to educate, and now – you know, we're so used to being laborers that we will go 99% of the way. Not meeting people mm-hmm. halfway, we will meet people most of the way to try to get them to learn certain things or try to give them certain knowledge. Folks got to start meeting us halfway, really three-fourths of the way, because we've done so much mental, emotional, intellectual labor that mm-hmm. at some point folks are going to have to start coming in our direction, learning stuff for themselves, doing their own research, unpacking things themselves, instead of that work being done on our backs, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. yeah. So it's radical for us to challenge that. Like, it's radical, you know, if somebody's like, oh, um, tell me about such and such, and when I, for me to say no, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. no, actually look it up for yourself. That's still a radical yeah. decision. Um, so you yeah. don't have to feel this weight or this obligation to, like, or, like, you're less radical by choosing, you know, by prioritizing yourself. That's a very radical mm-hmm. thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the time you don't see it as that, though. But, yeah, no, I completely understand what you're saying. Wow, that's, like, it just puts everything kind of into perspective. So thank you for that. I mean, we we don't see it. We don't see it as radical a lot of times, too, because look at our conditioning. You know, we're there's certain things that are ingrained into us, like, that we're supposed to do. Like, this is just a part of, like, your role. So it it doesn't feel, you know, sometimes something as simple as doing something that you really want to do, doing self-care or, you know, community Mm -hmm. care, whatever, you doing those things can feel very um, like, oh, I'm not doing enough or whatever. But that's because we've been conditioned to feel that way. Like we've been conditioned to Mm -hmm. feel like prioritizing ourselves isn't a major thing. Like that's like it doesn't count, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's hard. It's hard to not feel like guilt. And, um, you know, feel some kind of way about doing it, but it is definitely radical to do it in a world yeah. that doesn't want us to do that. Like, this world does not want you as a young black queer woman to prioritize yourself. That's not what, like, mm-hmm. the world, that's not what this, you know, patriarchal system wants for you. Mm-hmm. So for you to do that mm-hmm. is, is you know, radical. It's a revolutionary act. 
So we just kind of have to look at in our very existence, kind of in our day-to-day lives, we are doing this revolutionary radical stuff really just by existing because, mm-hmm. you know, but some people, if some people had their way, we would not, <laughs> like we would be in hiding, we would not be yeah. live, being able to live our truth. So, um, you know, kind of seeing how it manifests on every level as opposed to just looking at the, the education and kind of helping people learn stuff, looking at it just mm-hmm. by you choosing to do this podcast or by you accepting certain things about yourself. That's, that's a radical act mm-hmm. of self-love and self-acceptance mm-hmm. that yeah. is, you know, not like what we're conditioned to do. We're conditioned to work <laughs> and nurture other people but yeah. not invest that in yeah. ourselves. Yeah, we could definitely talk about that, too. <laughs> and um, finally realizing that you have to put yourself first and love yourself first. That is very hard to do. Um, I've definitely had a lot of experiences with that, um, particularly with, um, you know, ex-partners and people that I've done with um, in those really codependent relationships. And mm-hmm. by that, by codependent, I mean um, – by them not doing well and you coming to the rescue and trying to fix it. And by that, I mean um, fix, like do do the work that they should be doing for themselves. Mm-hmm. And kind it's of like a favor complex. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. And it's a thrill. And it's like, wow, this person um, is going through so much and I'm here and I'm their ride or, ju- ride or die and all that good stuff, but bad stuff. Um, yeah, it gets super, it gets codependent, um, it's not nurturing, it'll suck the life out of you, um, and those are all things I've had to do with, too, my 21-year-old self, um, and kind of reflect (laughs) and understand that I have to put myself first, and really just be here for myself before I'm here for anyone else, um, I mean, it's good that you're learning that now. Because think about yeah. if you look at, look at um, you know, just a lot of times, like, if we look at the other, like, black women in our families and stuff like that or yeah. friends or whatever, mm-hmm. we look at those who are older than us and the time that it took them to get to that point, if they're even there. Like, you know, a lot of them um, mm-hmm. don't get to that place where they feel okay to prioritize themselves and they feel okay to, like, really um, focus on themselves because it's so deeply ingrained. So we're really having mm-hmm. to... There's like that um, that generational trauma that's ingrained that we're having to break that cycle by saying, hey, no, actually, I'm not going to be your um, your workhorse. No, actually, yeah. I'm not going to be your savior. I'm not going to do all this labor for you. Um, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be your mother. I'm not going to be because we end up playing all these different types of roles um, for people, and that's what we're used to. So by rejecting that, it really is breaking a cycle that we've been subjected to mm-hmm. for generations. And yeah. um, so it, that's a very, very radical thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that's very, very important. So for you to be in that place now, um, it really just, it helps to set the tone for as you mm-hmm. move forward and get older, like how you navigate your relationships with people and what you will mm-hmm. and will not accept. Um, yeah. But it's a beautiful thing that you're able to, go through this process at 21 as opposed to 41, 51. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really yeah. the reality for a lot of people. I mean, I still feel like better late than never, but mm-hmm. look at the the beauty of like, hey, look, I'm doing this now. 
so that when you're 31, like me, you know, you can be, you know, surpassed <laughs> where I am now mm-hmm. in terms of, like, my self-awareness and stuff like that and prioritizing myself. So I think it's yeah. – you can't take it lightly. It's something like make sure that you take the time to really, like, give yourself props for, like, mm-hmm. doing what you need to do and, like, for really embracing – yourself and um and doing it like in an unapologetic way it's yeah, yeah you can't really downplay you know the significance of that yeah that's something i think um as black women we definitely do often is like downplay our accomplishments and like that is so me to sit here and not big up myself and just be like yeah i i do that this is my reality um i live against all of these oppressive systems every day, but I'm just built like that because I'm, you know, a black woman and that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So that gets difficult too. like, actually, like, even when you sit here and tell me, like, wow, that's really great for you at 21, I'm like, yeah, like, it's cool, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's a cycle, too, that I think I need to work on with myself. Um, and accepting compliments, but not because someone else said them. I mean, of course, being appreciative that um, people appreciate me, but accepting them because I know that they're true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, but this all just comes from self-reflection, and I just take every small thing as a major thing. So even the fact that I can sit down here and consciously realize that that's something I need to work on, that's progress in itself. Um, and admitting it that... Is. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, definitely. But admitting that, um, you know, I have to work on things, I feel like that's the first step in changing things. I always tell people that um, because without admittance, you know, you can't get anything done. You don't even realize it's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's that first step. That's the first step is admitting you have a problem. I mean, for those, I mean, well, I will say for my listeners, like if you haven't, realized it by now um you know you it's it's I think it's (laughs) this one kind of obvious um so like Mm -hmm. Marissa is in a similar field it's in a similar field to what I'm in professionally and um so it totally does not surprise me because I do think you know if you want to be in the helping professions whether you want to do social work therapy counseling um life coaching, whatever, like anything that's going to be nursing, you know, just like something that's a helping profession that, you know, you should do that work with yourself and have that level of um, Mm self-awareness before you kind of like try to help facilitate that for other people. And um, and that is the ongoing process. It's like continual education, um, you know, that just like you have to continue your education for licensure and stuff like that, you have to continue your education for yourself and for your self-awareness um so i think that to me it's um it seems like it's a good fit basically for you to be you know for you to pursue the field that you're pursuing because Mm -hmm. it takes that work and so for you to be able to tell someone else like hey i'm telling you to do this but like i can say it because i've done the work to me that's been for me one of my most valuable assets is that i can truly empathize with people because i'm like look I'm not telling you this because, you know, just to say it and just because of the thing to say, like, no, I'm in therapy too. No, I deal with this too. You know, like, it's, you know, you can actually empathize with people 
Um, and we need more, you know, more folks, especially more black women, more black queer folks and stuff in the helping mm-hmm. professions anyway, because we need it. And so we need to be able to see people that look like us. So I think yeah. that um, uh-huh. it's really exciting, you know, that that's something that you're pursuing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I um I definitely love my field of study. Like I have learned so much about like what you said, empathy, being able to validate people, um, being able to self reflect and know that you make mistakes and know that things have happened to you and you're consciously trying to work past them, and really um not bringing your um what you've been through to your clients also is super, super important um, because you don't want to show bias, obviously, and that's just social work things. Um, but also knowing how to empathize and understand what they're going through. I know you talked about being an empath. Um, that was one of my favorite episodes. I definitely can relate. Um, I feel everything at such, like, a high intensity of emotion, which is it's hard to deal with. Um but also knowing when you have to remove yourself in self-care. And um, one of my biggest things, if you're in the helping profession, I would definitely just recommend um, knowing that you even helping is doing a lot for them and kind of taking that blame of or maybe that guilt of what they're going through off of yourself because you are helping um your client or the person that um, you're working with goes through their trauma. That's been really, really important for me, knowing that I'm making an impact. And that kind of goes back to um, what I said about, like, my civic duty of just being on this earth and existing for, like, other people, to help other people and um, for a greater purpose and things like that. No, I definitely, um, I definitely agree. Um, I think it's important to... I mean, for me, like, I definitely, I want to help people. It's very important Mm -hmm. to me. And I think that um, one of the biggest things that we can remind ourselves of is that Mm -hmm. we can do that, um, and we can still do that on our own terms. We can still do that for balance and not, you know, burn out. We don't have to sacrifice ourselves to do it. You know, we can still, like, retain ourselves and, you know, and still, like, make sure that we do things that we want to do while also, playing this role that we want to play in people's lives and really helping them. So, um, you know, but I think that by you doing this work, um, you know, the work that you're doing internally, because even when I was in, like, part of me doing grad school was going to therapy, you know, having to do therapy. Like, we had a class that focused on just therapy and, um, you know, you talking about your own experiences in therapy and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I just think it's so important that you're doing that process now um mm-hmm. but before so what i wanted to do um which is not mm-hmm. i don't think it's something i've done with anybody before but kind of mm-hmm. to wrap up i wanted to ask you if you mm-hmm. like if there's anything that you could say to okay so you're 21 now so mm-hmm. if there's anything you could say to your 11 year old self and your 31 year old self what would what would it be Oh, wow. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if it's, like, something that you want, like, something that you kind of want to, uh, for your 11-year-old self, like, okay, what, like, what would you tell that little girl, like, okay, based on where you are now, and then what do you want to 
you know, kind of what's something that you're like, okay, well, 31-year-old me, I'm looking forward to this, or like what type of um, woman do you see yourself being? So just to give you like some background, um, I'm from Rochester, New York. Um, So I'm from upstate New York. Um, and I have been through a lot, a lot, a lot. I feel like my teenage years were some of the most difficult for me. Um, I went through my parents' divorce. I went through um, different stuff with body dysmorphia, eating, um, trying to fit into uh, society and fit into society as um, someone that I wasn't, um, and someone that I may never be, but um, learning to come to terms with that, that I am not like anyone else on this earth, and I am special just because I'm me, would definitely be something that I would tell the 11-year-old Marissa, Marissa Lynn, <laughs> um, if I could go back and tell her something. Um, I also would tell her that just being me is enough because I always felt like I had to prove myself to my parents, to different people in my school. Um, I really just feel like I kind of wasted, wasted might be a strong word. I'm trying to pick my words carefully. Um, But it was it was very hard my my younger days just because I wanted to um like fit in and I wanted to be what everyone saw me to be rather than just existing and knowing I was enough by doing that um so my eleven year old self I would definitely tell her those two things: just exist, just be you and be confident in who you are and learn more about yourself um and, you know, not take no for an answer when it comes to things relating to you and your self-growth. Oh. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. Um, I think it's just, it's always cool to kind of look back and see, kind of with hindsight, to just see like, okay, yeah. well, this is, um, you know, what I, what I would tell that version of me. So mm-hmm. for your 31-year-old yeah. self, I guess. Yeah. Um, what about what about her? Because that's that's the grown grown woman. <laughs> mhm. Thirty one. It's just crazy because like eleven seems so far away and thirty one seems further. And especially since I just turned twenty one, I'm like, oh my god. Even twenty two, I'm like, damn. Like I'm getting up there. That's crazy. Really? Oh my god. I, <laughs> I up I, there, girl. But you know what though? I just feel like every moment, like, I feel like I'm so just blessed. And, like, when I really tell you, like, my gratitude level, I have one of the highest I've probably met of people. Like, I'm just so excited to be existing and happy and living. And, like I said, I have been through triumph. So, like, even being here, coming from, like, where I come from, like, a lot of people don't make it to the place I am. A lot of people don't go to college. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't um, succeed in the way they want to because they're so caught up in um, different things relating to, like, the area that, um, you know, Rochester is and, and stuff like that. So I um, 
I don't know. I think 31, I would just say keep reaching. And ideally, I would want myself to be in a space of um, 31, I feel like, is like my career should pretty much be settled. Maybe look towards um, family stuff in the near future. But if I'm not there, to allow myself to be in a space that isn't exactly what I imagined and be okay with that. Um, And just remember, like, where I came from and and the struggles I've been through. I always want to be a helping person, so hopefully by 31 I'm doing all that I can for, like, this world and more. Um, That would be ideal, but I don't know. A lot could happen in ten years. Like, I'm just happy to live. I mean, I'm just happy to live in the now, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot can definitely happen in that time frame. But I think it's mm-hmm. so like, it's just kind of awesome to to look for. It's actually, you know, that kind of look. What would you say to your um, future self? It's something that a mentor of mine. Um, well, my mentor mm-hmm. I only have one, but my mentor asked me uh, when I mm-hmm. first around the time that we first met and it's so crazy because mm-hmm. you know the things that I said when we met initially um it hasn't been mm-hmm. quite 10 years yet but you know it's kind of like okay five years from now kind of what do you want to and it really you'll be surprised um you'll be surprised how it turns out I think that even though I there are a lot of things that have manifested in my life that I never would have imagined I still feel like you know I'm where I'm supposed to be even though it doesn't yeah. look necessarily how – it's like it does and it doesn't. In some ways it does yeah. look like how I thought it would, and in some ways it doesn't. So, um, mm-hmm. but, yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely um, – I definitely – I mean, it was awesome to be able to get you on the show um, mm-hmm. because it meant a lot to to hear from you and to get your message. And, um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's just one of those things that I – some of my friends, like, they're, they're going to know who – I'm talking about because when I got your message, I was like, oh, my God, you know, and I sent, mm-hmm. uh, I'd like screenshot since like my wife, <laughs> my best mm-hmm. friends, like uh, with the little crying emoji, like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then so it was just really, um, it just really meant a lot to me. So I appreciate it um, that you yeah. can send it. Um, I don't know yeah. if you want, do you want folks to follow you on like social media or anything like that? Do you have anything you want to share, plug or any yeah. of that? Yeah, well, first, I just wanted to say, like, I'm happy, you're happy to have me, because I'm so ecstatic and thankful that, um, you know, you decided to have me on your show. Um, honestly, this outlet has, when I tell you, helped me in ways that are, like, I don't even really know how to explain. Like I said, on my free time, I listen to this podcast, and I'm like, yeah, like, someone gets it. And just having that representation and knowing that there's other people that are going through similar things as me in a space that I don't feel like I really have people that, you know, are, it's it's really, it's really empowering and it kind of helps me go day by day, you know, just, just existing. But so little segue, if you feel like I have, um, something I've said has resonated with you. Um, you could follow me. I mostly check like Instagram the most, which would be at low Ruz. Long story behind that. But that's what everyone in high school used to call me. Um, they used to call me Ruz because my name's Marissa 
and then like risk goes with that. But um, and then somehow that turned into Ruz. But so that would be L O W R U Z Z, and then um, that's my Instagram and Twitter. Also, would be the same handle. All right, y'all. As usual, thank you so much for tuning in to Black Radical Queer Podcast. Um, I'm so glad that you're taking the time to um, to listen. And until next time, I'm out. Bye, y'all. Black Radical Queer Podcast is all about intersectionality and Black queer folks sharing our stories on our own terms. We navigate an array of identities and BRQ is an outlet where we can see the spectrum of those identities reflected, explored, and celebrated. Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javier Nicole, produced and edited by Charmaine Johnson. Music is by Publicity. You can find us on social media by looking up Black Rat Queer. It's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We are on um, Facebook as well as Instagram and Twitter. Same handle regardless at Black Rat Queer. B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We also have a Facebook discussion group that's just called BRQ Discussion Group. And you can also listen wherever you get your podcast. So we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Google Play, you know, all those types of things. And we have, you know, our home base that's on Lipson, So you can listen on there as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Make sure you come on back around next week to see uh, what we have for you. And all right, y'all, I'm out. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.